Well, good morning, folks. Let's pray together. Father, we welcome you to come by your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and to teach us your ways. We just love you so much, and I pray now that my words will fall away, but that your words would be like a fire in our hearts, illuminating Jesus and bringing us truth straight from the heavenly realms. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a joy to share with you. I'm finishing off our month on healing. And my title uh, today is, You Are What You Eat. You Are What You Eat. And I want to talk to you this morning about healing and communion. And I've not done a particular scripture reading, so I'm going to be darting around uh, through the scriptures. But you might want to put a finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and also John chapter 6. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and John chapter 6. And if you're brand new to this whole thing, uh, we've been talking about uh, healing all summer. And this, in some ways, could be new for some of us, but it's not new at all for the Christian church. When Jesus walked amongst us 2,000 years ago, uh, one of the things he talked about was the kingdom of heaven breaking into our world. And one of the things that he did to demonstrate and to show the reality of this kingdom that he came to bring was he healed the sick, he freed troubled minds, and he brought newness of life wherever he went. And what I'm talking about today uh, is building upon the last four weeks. Uh, we've heard about uh, healing being right in the heart of the nature of God. We've had a journey through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation uh, about where healing is just scattered right throughout the Bible. Uh, we've heard about hearing God's voice. We've heard about how key our identity is to unlocking healing. And what I wanted to just begin with by really saying is that today, communion is going to be one of the ways through which Jesus can do what he's been doing for 2,000 years, which is to bring healing to our bodies, healing to our minds, healing to our hearts, healing as a manifestation, a demonstration of the freedom and wholeness and harmony of his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And communion is one of the places that we can receive and catch and come into healing as we receive the body and blood of Jesus. And I'm going to talk about that uh, in a few minutes. Uh, but I just wanted to say, you know, uh, we've been talking about healing all summer. And sometimes people uh, say to me, well, you know, isn't it very unpastoral to believe in healing today? You know, because so often we, we've encountered churches or people who, if they haven't been healed, just then could feel rubbish in and of themselves. And what I wanted to, to say that, you know, 
I remember in summer 2014, I did my first teaching series on healing in our church. And we've really been going after this for, for the last six years and more. And we've seen God do some incredible miracles amongst us. But what I wanted to say in that context we're not a traveling ministry. We're not a crusade who comes into town. We are a local church living this out. Uh, and, and I think if you live amongst us, I'd like to feel that, that what you do catch from our community is the Father's love and just the overwhelming sense of family and care for one another. And so I just wanted to say that, you know, if you've heard people say, well, it's, it can be dangerous to believe in this stuff. You know, what we're doing is we are contending to see more of Jesus, more of his kingdom breaking into our lives. And where it doesn't, then we just love people. We care for people. We, we hang in there for those who, whose bodies or whose minds or whose hearts aren't reflecting the reality of what we're preaching. But what I want to say to you today is something of hope, which is to say, it might happen today. It can happen as we receive the body and blood of Jesus. Don't feel like you should be healed and you're a second-class citizen if you haven't been healed, but simply set that aside and just come into the truth of who God is and the love that he wants to lavish on us. And I pray today that if you haven't caught this already, that you would just be healed, even as I share with you. And then at the end of my, my message, as we break bread together, uh, and that may be one of the vehicles through which Jesus just really touches your life in a powerful way. And one of the things that I think living in this day and age, in the 21st century, particularly as Westerners and as Brits, is we love to have everything worked out, you know, don't we? We love to have this big sort of map of how the whole world works and every eventuality is boxed off in some corner that we can understand. And the reason we think like that as Westerners and as Brits is because we have inherited in our culture, you know, the sort of rationalistic, modernistic way of thinking, which is really informed by science and by logic. And the, one, of the, one of the things uh, when you come to God is that you cannot come to God through logic. There are so many logical, rational reasons that underpin the coherence of who God is, but you can't work it all out. And at the end of the day, it has to be a step of faith. Now, what I'm not doing is saying that there aren't good, very coherent, logical reasons underpinning all of what we're doing. But there comes a point where it's like, if God is real then I have to let go of fitting this eternal, infinite God inside my tiny mind. <laughs> and I have to be humble with that and recognise that trying to understand God is a bit like trying to make a wild lion a pet. <laughs> be careful how close you get near to it because there's something wild and untamable about that. But what God does do is he gives us, when we come to him through faith, revelation. And he gives us just glimpses 
into his eternal nature and his eternal ways. And he gives us just a greater and greater glimpse. And what happens is as we walk this out in rationalistic modern society, it means that we we focus on what God has shown us and we kind of leave with humility the mystery of what we don't understand. We release back to him and recognise that one day he's going to give us complete clarity when we see him face to face. And until then, we are going to prize and treasure the things that he has shown us uh, until we get to that place. So let, let me give you a Bible verse that makes sense um, of what I've just shared, which is Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things he has revealed belong to us and our children forever. And what that basically means is that God, God is in charge of everything and reigns over all mysteries, but he releases to us revelation. And what we do then is seek to lay hold of that and steward that well in our lives. And so you could say, why? let's bring this into the area of healing. Why hasn't this person been healed? Or why did this person die what we believe is prematurely? And do you know what? We, we just don't know the answer to those questions. When we come to the end of our lives, we will see the Lord face to face and he will, he will give us a way of comprehending those mysteries. But until then, what we do is we receive the revelation about what he wants to do. And one of the revelations is about the, the ministry of healing and the way that Jesus gave a revelation of that to his disciples uh, when he was here 2,000 years ago. And we hold that together with the revelation in Scripture that Jesus doesn't change. He hasn't changed. He doesn't change, you know, Jesus is the same as the Bible says, yesterday, today, and forever. And so what happens then is we receive this message from Jesus and we seek to be faithful and allow that to take ownership of our lives and the way that we think and see the world and release the things that we don't understand as being things that belong to him. So, hope that makes sense. <laughs> right, let me talk a bit about communion. And I need to say that I'm beginning from the settled basis that I believe it is God's will to bring healing in every situation. And one of the ways that we know that is because God has won healing through the death of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago on the cross. Now, one of the scriptural places that we find that being tied together, let me ask you a question. Do you, find it, do you find it easy to believe that through what Jesus did on the cross, we can have forgiveness for what Christians would call sin, but we would just say all the messed up things in our lives? Do you find it easy to believe that Jesus died in our place and therefore we can be forgiven? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Yeah. Well, what we have been discovering is how the healing of our bodies, the healing of disease, the healing of illness was also 
won for us when Jesus died 2,000 years ago. Let me give you a Bible reference for that from uh, the prophet Isaiah operating hundreds of years before Jesus and in prophesying about the Messiah who was to come, uh, Isaiah said this in chapter 53, Isaiah 53, and I'm going to pick up at verse 3 in Isaiah chapter 53. Um, he's, he's prophesying about the Messiah to come and we see um, and, and so many down the ages have, have just known that Isaiah was seeing in ahead, hundreds of years, ahead of Jesus, but referring to Jesus Christ. Verse three in chapter 53, he was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity, and as one from whom others hide their faces. He was despised and we held him of no account. He's talking about how everybody deserted Jesus as he was walked to the cross. Even his closest friends, his disciples, fled and deserted him. Verse four, surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his stripes, we are healed. We are healed. Now, someone feeling clever would say, well, aren't we healed spiritually? Isn't it pushing it to say that Isaiah 53 ties the healing of body, the healing of our minds, the healing of our hearts, the healing of disease with what happened when Jesus was crucified on the cross? Was he really winning for us forgiveness of sin and healing of disease? Well, that's a really good question because you could say, well, aren't, aren't we just spiritual? Aren't we over-egging this? What, wasn't Isaiah really seeing a spiritual healing? You know, a sort of healing of our souls, a cleansing of our emotions rather than the healing of disease. Well, the good news is, is that Isaiah 53 is interpreted for us in Matthew's gospel. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter eight, because you'll see some really awesome stuff here. So in Matthew chapter eight, we've had the Sermon on the Mount. We've got Jesus beginning to really drive forward in his ministry, teaching about the kingdom of heaven, healing people, uh, delivering people of evil spirits uh, and demonstrating the freedom and the joy of heaven. And what happens in Matthew chapter eight is we pick up, uh, Jesus goes to Peter's home. Peter, you know, one of the chief apostles. Uh, verse 14, Jesus entered Peter's house and he saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. Verse 15, he, Jesus, touched her hand, the fever left her and she got up and began to serve him. Beautiful story. You know, he goes to see Peter's mother-in-law, touches her, fever leaves, and she gets up and begins to, uh, begins to just run the home, do the chores. Verse 16, that evening they brought to Jesus many who were possessed with demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and cured all who were sick. How many did he cure who were sick? All. Nobody's left behind. 
wasn't the special ones, wasn't those who were particularly having awesome faith, wasn't those who, you know, looked right or said the right prayers. He cured all who were sick. Now look at this, verse 17. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and carried our diseases. What Matthew is is saying in this, he's commenting, he's saying, Jesus healed everyone who had diseases and this was fulfilling what Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before. The demonstration of the healing of the sick fulfilled what Isaiah saw, saw hundreds of years before, that there is forgiveness for all our messed up stuff and healing of body, healing of disease, tied together in this man Jesus who laid down his life for us. Isn't that amazing news? And what that means 2,000 years later is that when someone comes to us seeking healing, when we're praying for them, we don't have to worry about, okay, you've asked me to pray for you because your back is busted. So now I'm gonna seek God. Lord, what is your will? You know, what, what is your will for this person? No, we know this. We now with confidence can, can receive by faith what was won for them 2,000 years ago when Jesus gave up his last breath and said, it is finished. And we can say, we would love to pray for your busted back. Let us release upon you what was won 2,000 years ago and almost put it to work in your body and say, back, be healed. We have confidence releasing healing into this back because 2,000 years ago, we know that there was a ransom paid for this back to be well in the name of Jesus. Think about it like this. Can you imagine if someone came to your house and said, good news, forget the national lottery. The national lottery have picked you out and they've given us a check for 25 million quid. And here's the check now. You're the lucky winner. You know, the national lottery is smiling on you and we'd like to give you 25 million pounds. And you'd go, that's awesome, wouldn't you? And can you imagine just getting that 25 million pounds there and then? And you go in and you phone up all the family and say, come round. And maybe meet in the garden because we're distancing or whatever it is. But come round. I've got to tell you, I've been given 25 million pounds. It's going to change our lives. And you show them the check. Look, on the check, it's written 25 million pounds to me. It belongs to me. And you take the check and you frame it and you put it above the fireplace. And every friend that comes around, you say, look, look up there on the wall. I've been given 25 million pounds by the National Lottery. But can you imagine if you never cashed the check and you memorialized it and you just looked at it day after day, month after month, year after year, but you never took it to the bank and put it into your account? You see, Jesus won healing for bodies on the cross. And when we pray, what we're doing is we are saying 2,000 years ago, what you won, Jesus, we are now taking to the bank so that it takes effect by faith. And we're saying, thank you for giving us the privilege of praying for your busted back. We are now gonna take you by faith 
back 2,000 years ago to what was won for you at the cross. And we're going to say, thank you, Jesus, that by your stripes, this person can receive healing through what you did two millennium ago. And now we're just going to release that in the name of Jesus, with authority, with confidence, and with thankfulness for what Jesus has done. Does that make sense? Great. Right, let me just apply this now to communion. Now, um, communion. There are probably three main ways that the Christian church has understood what is going on in communion. The Catholic church has understood that when you take the bread and when you take the wine, what's going on is what the Catholic church have called transubstantiation. So they literally believe that the elements, the bread and the wine, are changed as they're prayed over into the real flesh and blood of Jesus. And uh, that's not, I can see where they get that, you know, from scripture. And we're going to look at one of those scriptures in a moment from John chapter six. Um, But I'm not quite there with that. Um, At the other end of the spectrum, often the Protestant view uh, often sort of taught in the Baptist flavoured, you know, stream of churches is that communion is about remembrance. You know, Jesus said, didn't he? He said, do this, you know, uh, this is my body, you know, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so they would say when we are engaging and partaking in communion, we are remembering what Jesus has done. We are literally almost like doing a theatrical remembrance. We are retelling the acts of what happened to Jesus in the giving of his life. Uh, we, are, we are engaging and remembering all that he gave to us in the Lord's Supper. But... What I want to do is just share with you, I think probably a middle position, which is right at the heart of what we believe theologically is going on in communion. But I want to to show you by taking you to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, in 1 Corinthians, we probably got the first New Testament manuscript that's been written. This is kind of like the oldest New Testament book that came into circulation. And this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. These guys are off the charts spiritual. They are rolling in Holy Spirit fire. Um, but what, they, what we're finding in 1 Corinthians is if you read um, kind of at the start of the chapter um, and through picking up at verse 17, what was happening is that the rich were elbowing out of the way the poor. They were, you know, pushing each other out of the way. They were disregarding one another and Paul was not happy. And he reminds them of what Jesus gave to his disciples and commanded us to continue on the night that he was betrayed, what we know as Maundy Thursday, the night that Jesus was arrested when he gathered with his friends and celebrated the Passover with them. And Paul basically reminds them in verse 26, there's something powerful going on when we do communion. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
So what Paul's saying is, when you literally break bread and do communion, there is a proclamation going forth about Jesus' death that we are to continue to do until Jesus returns. And then he goes on in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, if you do this in the wrong way, when you celebrate the very, the very act that Jesus gave to us to remember him by and what he's done for us, when you do this in the wrong way, you literally become answerable for his body and his blood. You are literally removing yourself from being recipients of all that he's done to being those who bayed for his blood and yelled with the crowd in Jerusalem, crucify him, crucify him. So we're to take this very seriously. Verse 28, examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Take this seriously. You know, approach this with reverence, with thankfulness, with worship. Verse 29, for all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill and some have died. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now, what's going on here? Before I, let me just back up for a minute. You've got to understand that for the New Testament church, their experience is so different to ours. Their experience, if you look carefully at how they talk, how they live their lives, how they demonstrated the kingdom, their experience was when you live in the kingdom of heaven, you are well. Do you remember James chapter 5 when they, uh, James is saying um, about calling the elders if anyone is sick and anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will heal them in James chapter 5. Well, listen to what they said. If any of you is sick, if any of you is sick, call the elders and then anoint with oil and the prayer of faith will save and heal and restore the sick. The point I'm trying to make is, here we are where we've been taught different things about healing and about the nature of God and we are seeking to welcome and rediscover and revive the reality of the kingdom in our lives, in our hearts, in our bodies, in our minds. But for the New Testament church, it was simple for them. Jesus makes people well. If Jesus is around, everyone gets healed. When the apostles were around, everyone gets healed. When the Christian church spread, everyone gets healed, everyone gets delivered. And the reason they can believe that is because Exodus chapter 15, verse 17, is they knew the nature of God. I, Exodus 15, verse 17, I am the God who heals you. And in the Old Testament Hebrew sense of the word, I'm the God who heals you and keeps you in healing, is what the verb expresses there. So think about it like this. Imagine the eternal God who has no sickness in and of himself, 
who has no brokenness, who has no tormented minds, imagine him existing. Then the world falling as a consequence of sin and darkness and turning away from God and sin and disease and illness become part of life here. But then God comes along and he brings the reality of where he is in eternal, timeless, the heavenly realm. And he interrupts this through Jesus and he begins to penetrate this world with everlasting life, eternal life, life that has no sickness and disease. And that inhabits the life of Jesus. So much so that a a woman who's bled for 12 years can touch his cloak and suddenly she can be well. But imagine then if he entrusts that to the Christian church, that they, they are just living in eternal, everlasting health and life and freedom and wholeness. And then wherever they go, they're like Jesus. And everyone who touches the garments of the Christian church gets well. And suddenly then we find ourselves here in 1 Corinthians 11, through their excesses and abuses with communion, suddenly they were getting weak. Suddenly they were getting ill. Suddenly they were removing themselves from the access point at which they could live in God's eternal everlasting health. And the reason they were removing themselves from that is because they weren't discerning the body truly. They were elbowing each other out of the way. They weren't examining themselves and therefore they were removing themselves from the access point uh, through which they could receive everlasting life. And the access point is the cross. The access point, the welcome, the entry point was what Jesus did. And so when Paul says, um, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body, and that word could be used interchangeably, the body of Christ, the church, or the body of Jesus. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill and some have died. When we just disregard this precious thing that he has done, what happens is we put ourselves out of living through the access point of all that Jesus has done and won for us through the cross And therefore, we come under the worldliness through which, you know, most, you know, our reality so often is that a load of people are ill around us and and people die prematurely. But when we come under the grace of God given to us, which is everlasting life through Jesus, we can expect to live in the life and health and deliverance and freedom and healing of the everlasting God in this everlasting kingdom so that we can expect a natural full span of years and to walk in healing and freedom. Now let me just back up and try and land this in John chapter six and then show you how this, just how we can receive this through communion. John chapter six, Jesus is firing up the Jews who are listening. Because Jesus basically is, is hardcore about um, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's been feeding the 5,000. He's referred to himself as the bread of life. Whoever 
feeds on me and whoever drinks from me will never be hungry and thirsty again. And Jesus says in John chapter six, verse 53, Jesus said to those who are listening to him, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, have life that has no beginning, have life that has no end, have this everlasting, overflowing, beautiful, unfiltered, unstained, unbroken life that is emanating from God. Have those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood dwell in me and I in them. Now let me just sort of apply this to how I understand what is going on in communion. When I engage in communion, I am thinking of those verses. I'm not thinking that the bread that I'm going to eat is literally the flesh of Jesus, but I'm also standing on the shoulders of what I remember that he has done, that Jesus laid down his life for me and that forgives me of all my brokenness And it heals my body and heals my heart and heals my mind of everything that breaks it. But what I'm doing is I'm I'm expecting more than just a reenactment of what Jesus did with his disciples in the upper room 2,000 years ago at the Last Supper. I'm expecting something spiritually to be real in my life. In the same way that in 1 Corinthians 11, when the Corinthian church were wrongly engaging in communion, it was having spiritual implications and physical implications in their bodies and in their health. I'm expecting the reverse to be true when I come to communion with the expectancy by faith of it being a way that I can receive afresh all that Jesus won and established 2,000 years ago. Think about this. This everlasting life that exists in God was brought to earth in Jesus, was made real, and the, the entry point, the access point, was open for us in the cross And that is a reality that rings out through every age and through every century from, you know, from 2,000 years ago to now and beyond. But what's happening when I engage in communion, I am afresh by faith coming into that truth, coming into that reality, and I'm beginning to receive that again today. So before I tell you how I do that, let me just give you a couple of stories. I have seen this work out time and time again when I've been called to pray for people right at the end of their lives. So quite often in my role as rector of a Church of England parish, we'll get a call in, will you go and see someone who is right at the end of their life? They only have days to live. And I'll go and visit them and I'll just very often just gently say to them in that moment, do you know Jesus? 
And if they don't, I'll lead them to Jesus. And if they do, I'll encourage them that he loves them, that he cares for them. He is gonna be with them. Uh, And then very often I'll say, would you like to receive communion? And then I'll share with them just the the truth of all Jesus did when he laid down his life. Uh, And I'll, I'll give them bread and I'll give them wine. And then I'll just pray again that the reality of what Jesus has done for them will be real in their lives. And having had a call that they're about to die, they've only got days to live, time and again, countless times, they've then gone on to live for several years after that's happened. Now, it, it, which is really cool. Um, and, you know, I don't know how that works, you know, and sometimes they've been disappointed because they've been looking forward to being united with the Lord or whatever it is. But, you know, so many times it's been like, this person only has two weeks to live. This person's been diagnosed with, you know, only a few days left and we'll go flying in there. I'll go flying in there. And then they'll live for like three more years. And it's awesome, you know, and, uh, and God has just done so much. You know, we used to be really poorly as a family. And um, so that's just really cool you know, about seeing God, you know, using bread and wine and communion as being a, a way that people can receive life and receive health and healing. Um, we, we used to be, you know, several years ago, I would say 10 years ago, our family was quite a sickly family. We were often poorly, you know, quite a lot. You know, the kids be ill, everyone be ill. I'd be ill quite often. Louisa be ill quite often. We were quite sickly as a family. And then we began to discover these truths about how Jesus won for us healing. We don't have to like seek him about as what his will is. Uh, we just we, we began to just thank him for what he did for us 2,000 years ago. Thank him that he paid for it on the cross. Thank you that the ransom that he did for us means that we can be well. We can come into everlasting life. And I've got to say, just something changed for us as a family. You know, and we are rarely, I would say very, very rarely poorly. Um, but uh, Louise got poorly just before Christmas at the end of 2019. And as a church, we were going into a period of fasting and praying and laying 2020 before the Lord in January. So we decided, you know, she'd been ill just before Christmas and, you know, I was just a bit annoying. (laughs) But we decided, okay, we don't want this to go around the family. So in January, as we fast and pray, we're going to have communion every day. And I've got to say, you know, we had a few minor coughs and colds going on before we went into that period. But I tell you what, we just very quietly, very calmly, day after day, just took communion, thanked Jesus for what he was doing. And we were fit as a fiddle come the end of January. No coughs, no colds, no winter flu, no whatever. Everybody is like not tired anymore. We are just living in strength and health. And just very simply as a family, we just took ourselves to what Jesus had done for us 2,000 years ago in bread and wine. So if you come to an Anglican communion service, what you will hear a minister say if they use informal liturgy, I think is spot on for what I'm about to share with you, which is the reality of John 6 and what I've been talking about this morning. You will hear them pray a prayer as they invite people to communion, which says something like this, draw near with faith, receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you and his blood, which he shed for you. 
Eat and drink in remembrance. We're remembering all he did. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And that, I think, is what Jesus is teaching in John chapter 6. That when we receive bread and wine, we are remembering what he did, but we are feeding on him in our hearts by faith, by faith, which is we are believing that we are receiving from him and we're so thankful for all that he's done. So how I, how I receive communion is I thank Jesus that he laid down his life, that he did what I could never do, that he laid down his life, that he went through that agony and despair and pain of the cross so that I didn't have to. And I thank him. And that when his body was smashed to bits, as they whipped him and lashed him, as they stretched him out wide on the cross, that he did that so that I didn't have to go through that. And he made a ransom for all the brokenness, all the twisted stuff that I've done in my life and that I may do in my life in the future. He did that for me. His body was broken for me. And so when I come and I receive bread, I'm like, I'm just like thanking Jesus. Thank you that it was you, not me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And when I receive wine, I'm saying thank you that his blood, when the soldiers pierced his side and his blood streamed out of his, his side at that point, that it was his blood that was shed and not mine. And that his blood, the Lamb of God, comes to cleanse me and to wash me of all my brokenness, all my shame, all my filth, all my rags, that he comes to just cleanse me of all that stuff and to make me clean before God. Wow, wow, wow. And then when I receive the bread and I take it into myself, what I'm really saying is I'm, I, I'm, I'm making a, a belief declaration. I'm saying I believe that you are the thing that nourishes my life. You know, Jesus said just earlier in John 6, I am the bread of life. I'm saying out of all the things that could nourish me, good food, friendships, you know, experiences, holidays, you know, wine, you know, whatever it is, out of all the things that could make me feel good in my life, I'm saying, wow, as I receive this bread, I'm saying, Jesus, I feed on you and all that you've done. Not simply for my own benefit, but just to recognize that you are true bread and that when I believe in you, you're feeding my heart, you're feeding my spirit, you're feeding my body, you're feeding my mind with real, spiritual, eternal, everlasting food. And when I drink from you, I'm taking the very things that you did for me right into the heart of who I am. You know, when we consume something, it comes right into the very core of our being, into who I am. I'm saying, Jesus, I cannot live without, without you. I cannot exist without feeding on who you are. And I'm believing that in the very way that you told me to, that as I receive your body and I receive your blood by faith, through these gifts to me, that I am just receiving afresh this everlasting life, which is 
untainted, unblemished by sin, by brokenness, by evil, by the demonic, by, by disease. I'm receiving afresh eternal life into my being, into my heart, into my spirit. And I'm saying, you are true drink, you are true food, and I receive from you. And as, as we receive in that way, I'm just absolutely convinced that the reality of what Jesus won at the cross is activated. It's almost like it, the go button, but gets pressed and we get stronger in our minds. We get stronger in our bodies. We get healed in our minds. We get healed in our bodies as we just receive and feast and, and, and just consume him. And we become who we have been purchased to be, you know, by what Jesus has done. You know, I said my title at the start of this talk was, you are what you eat. And it's almost like when we receive communion, it's almost like we are remembering ourselves. It's almost like when sewing, you know, if you've got a teddy bear that gets torn apart by the dog and, you know, you sew back on an arm that's been ripped off, you are remembering the arm. And it's almost like when we receive communion, it's like we're coming back into who we have being purchased to be by what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. We become who we really are, which is in him, which is adopted by the Father, which is, which is um, incorporated into Christ, which is seated with him right next to the Father in, heaven, in the heavenly realms. We are remembered as we, by faith, as we believe, as we prayerfully receive this wonderful gift of communion. And as Jesus said in John 6, as we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we abide in him, we become who we really are afresh. It's not like we're becoming afresh, it's like we're realising afresh where we've always been, which is in him. And the reality of him comes afresh into our hearts and minds and our bodies and he dwells afresh in our hearts. So I would expect as we believe on him in what he's done in communion, that he heals us, that he makes us strong, that we receive his life eternal afresh. Something that we taste now and partake in for the natural span of our lives and something that will be ours forever and ever and ever. So I just want to um, almost finish by, by just inviting you where you are. If you've got bread and wine with you, I'm just going to pray for you now and then leave you, just as this stream finishes, just leave you to receive communion and pray that as you do that, you would be healed in body, heart and mind. You'd be well, you'd be strong. And so thank you, Lord Jesus, that on the night that you were betrayed, you took bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples and you said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, at the end of supper, taking the cup, you gave it to your friends and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood 
of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this, all of you, in remembrance of me. And we choose to just treasure you so much and all that you've done, Lord Jesus. We honour you and worship you for laying your life down. And I pray as we receive from you afresh this morning that you would heal our hearts, heal our spirits, heal our bodies, heal our minds as we receive all that you did for us afresh 2,000 years ago. May you be blessed and healed in the name of Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. May he turn the light of his wonderful countenance towards you. And today, as you receive from him and forevermore, be filled with his wonderful peace. God bless you all. We'll see you very soon. Bye-bye.